Access Division 33, the official podcast of Division 33 of the American Psychological Association, a group of professionals dedicated to science and practice in the area of intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism spectrum disorder. In each episode, we'll speak with a different member of our division, discussing their work and why it's important to the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and those who support them. And welcome to Access Division 33. I'm Jason Baker, a member of Division 33 and your host for today. Today we'll be talking about bullying with Dr. Elizabeth Logason. Dr. Logason is an associate clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at the UCLA Semmel Institute and is a licensed clinical psychologist. Dr. Logason is founder and director of the UCLA Peers Clinic, which is an outpatient hospital-based program providing parent-assisted social skills training for individuals with autism spectrum disorder and other social impairments from preschool to adulthood. She's also the training director for the UCLA Charjan Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. Having trained thousands of mental health professionals, educators, and families in the PEERS method, Dr. Logason is dedicated to developing and testing evidence-based treatments to improve social skills across the lifespan and disseminating these empirically supported programs across the globe. Welcome, Dr. Lagason. Hi, thank you so much for having me here, Jason. Great. So we all know that bullying's become a huge epidemic among youth in the US. Are children and adolescents with developmental disabilities more at risk for bullying? Unfortunately, yes, that's, that's actually true, that, that kids with uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities, and in particular autism, are, are at much higher risk for bullying, probably two times is more likely to be bullied um, with a neurodevelopmental disability. And, and those with autism spectrum disorder are actually nine times more likely to be bullied than their typically developing peers, sadly. Why are teams with autism at such heightened risk for bullying? You know, there's a lot of different theories about why kids with autism are at higher risk. One. Um, theory is that they're just less socially competent and so they're not really sure what to do in the situations where they're being bullied and and sometimes they may do exactly what the bully wants them to do Um, like the person who's you know being teased uh, the, the, the bully really is looking for a reaction they want them to get upset or mad or you know even tease back that's fun for them and so a kid with autism may not be able to get into the mind of the bully and know that and so they might do exactly what the bully wants Um, Another theory for why kids with autism in particular are more likely to be bullied is that they have fewer friends. And think about that. Who do the bullies want to pick on? The kids who are by themselves or with a group of people? The ones that are by themselves. And so because they are rarely with other people, they have fewer friends, they're probably going to be more likely to be bullied. And then the third theory um, about why kids with autism are more likely to be bullied is a little bit more complicated. And it has to do with the fact that they get less peer support when they're being bullied, meaning that other kids aren't sticking up for them. And so a lot of people will, of course, ask, well, why aren't other kids sticking up for them? And I would argue that they're probably not sticking up with them because they don't know they have autism. So think about this. Autism is a spectrum, right? And for lack of better terms, we'll often describe higher functioning or lower functioning kids. And really all that means is whether or not there's language delays or cognitive delays. So um, think about that on the spectrum, Jason. Who do you imagine is more likely to be teased and bullied, a higher functioning kid or a lower functioning kid? 
potentially higher functioning? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be the higher functioning kid. And the reason is, of course, that the, the lower functioning kid is clearly impaired. You can tell that something's going on with that kid. And other kids might know what that, not know what that is, but they definitely can see that that kid is clearly impaired. And you'd have to be pretty mean to tease that kid. And if someone teased that kid, someone else is sticking up for that kid. So it's the higher functioning kids that are often more likely to be bullied and victimized. Um, and it's often because they're sort of camouflaged. They may not be talking about having autism. Some of the kids that we work with don't even know they have autism. Often they're not told that by their parents or the practitioners that work with them. And so other kids don't know that and they don't understand that maybe the reason that they're doing things that other kids don't like, like being a conversation hog or maybe um, policing other people, telling everybody what they're doing wrong all the time, they're doing those things because they have autism. And because other kids don't understand that, they think that they're doing things to be willfully annoying. And so they're more likely to be teased and, and bullied, sadly. So I would argue that um, that's a, a very common reason why kids with autism are more likely to be bullied, is that other kids don't know about this disability or the, the challenges that they face. So I think it's an important point for parents to be aware of. Often parents will be reluctant to share their child's diagnosis, or they might even tell their child, don't tell other people that you have autism. Now, Jason, think about that. What kind of message does that send a child if we tell them, don't tell other people about your diagnosis? Probably doesn't make them feel very good about themselves. Yeah, I mean, it might even make them think that, you know, there's something to be ashamed of or something to be embarrassed by. I don't think having autism is something to be ashamed of. I don't think it's something um, to be embarrassed by. It's just a difference. Um, it, it's not a less than or anything like that. It's just a difference. They see the world a bit differently. So I think that other kids might be more supportive and, and probably less likely to bully and tease, at least stick up for kids who are being teased if they understood these differences. Interesting. So bullying seems to be a pretty general word for some fairly complex behaviors. What are the different types of bullying that you've seen in your research? Yeah, good question. So the, the word bullying does get um, used quite a bit to describe some pretty distinct behaviors. So essentially research is suggesting that there's four types of bullying. All right, so the first type of bullying, probably the most prominent, the most um, you know noticeable and, and really prevalent would be a verbal bullying, which of course would be teasing or name calling. And that's pretty much across the globe the most common form of bullying. Then there's also physical bullying. So what do you imagine, Jason, that physical bullying would include? shoving, pushing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's more the aggressive stuff. So hitting, kicking, pushing, shoving, as you mentioned. But it could also include things like stealing from someone, um, exploiting or manipulating someone in some way, intimidating them you know, with the physical presence. That's physical bullying. All right, there's also electronic bullying, which we more often refer to as Social media online? Yeah, exactly. Like cyberbullying is kind of the common you know term that people use. And then the the fourth type is relational bullying. Um, so this one involves things like social exclusion. You know, we're not friends with you anymore. Or um, more commonly, rumors and gossip. And when you think about rumors and gossip and relational bullying, who do you think is more likely to commit the relational bullying? In, in typically developing children, it would be females. Yeah, that's more common in females. It doesn't mean that males don't engage in relational bullying, but that's kind of like the mean girls type of bullying. So those are four very, very distinct types of bullying behaviors. And would you imagine that maybe the strategies that we need to teach kids to handle those different types of bullying might be completely different? Mm, yeah. Yeah, they're completely different.
So we have to first, um, in dealing with sort of this bullying problem, we first need to identify what type of bullying we're talking about. Okay, and, and then what kind of strategies do you teach kids with developmental disabilities to use in handling, say, teasing, the most common form of bullying? Yeah, so the most common form is definitely teasing. And what's interesting about the strategies for um, handling teasing is that kids get advice about handle tease, how to handle teasing constantly. But what we've discovered in our research is that they get really bad advice. So what do you think that most kids are told to do to handle teasing? And not just you know kids with neurodevelopmental disabilities, but just kids in general. What are they told to do? Tell a teacher. Yeah, they're definitely told to tell a teacher. <laughs> they're told a couple of other things. Can you imagine anything else they might be told? Just ignore them. Yes, just ignore them. And kind of related to that, they'll tell them to... Just walk away. Well, exactly, walk away. So I ask every group of kids that I work with that same question. And across the globe, across the planet, they all say the same thing. They're told to ignore, walk away, or tell an adult. And then I ask them if it works. <laughs> and what do you think they say? Not so much. No, they don't work. And the reason that they don't work is because none of those strategies are ecologically valid. Meaning that socially successful kids are not doing those things. They're not ignoring walking away or telling an adult. And in fact, I like to imagine what it would look like. So imagine, Jason, that you were teasing me. I'm sure you would never do that, but let's just imagine <laughs> you were teasing me and I ignored you. What would you do? Uh, tease more? Yeah, you'd keep teasing me. You'd tease more. And I look weak because I didn't do anything. Do you think you're more likely or less likely to tease me? Probably more likely. Yeah, because it's so easy, right? Yeah. Okay, if I walk away, what will you probably do? Uh, make fun of you or follow you? Yeah, you're gonna follow me and keep teasing me, exactly. And once again, I look weak because I didn't do anything. Are you more likely or less likely to tease me? More likely. You're definitely more likely to tease me. And now imagine that I go tell an adult, right? Go tell a teacher or someone. What are you gonna wanna do then? tease you for being a tattletale. Yeah, I'm going to get a bad reputation for being like a tattletale or a snitch and you'll probably want to retaliate against me because I tried to get you in trouble. So none of those strategies are ecologically valid and yet across the planet every adult tells kids to ignore, walk away, or tell an adult. I have no idea why adults persist in ask, saying that but I, I kind of suspect is we were probably told to do that at some point. Some adult probably told us and I don't think we've ever really thought about what we would do in those situations and it probably wouldn't be ignore or walk away or tell an adult. We'd probably do something else. So what we want to do is we want to examine well, what do socially successful kids do when they're teased and how do they escape that? That's where research is so important. Our own social skills, we can't rely on them because social skills become so automatic to most of us that we don't even think about what we're doing. We just do it. And so that's why research is helpful to break down, well, what is it that people actually do in these situations? And um, interestingly enough, it's also it's not tease back. Some people will guess that's what it is. Teasing back will just escalate the teasing, so it doesn't make it stop. Instead, what kids do to escape teasing is they do this very simple thing where they give a short comeback that shows that what the person that was teasing them said didn't really bother them. And in fact, what they said was kind of stupid, right? They're kind of making fun of it. So they'll say things like, you know, whatever, or yeah, and, or your point <laughs> is, or, you know, is that supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to care? You know, so what? Big deal. They'll roll their eyes. They'll shrug their shoulders. But they act like what the person said was kind of stupid. It wasn't really bothering them. And that makes it not so fun 
for the person who's doing the teasing. It's not reinforcing that teasing. And that's what socially successful kids do. That's what typically developing kids do. And that's what we want to teach kids with autism and other special needs, how to respond to teasing. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us and and thanks for doing this work. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the podcast. Please tune into our next episode when we interview another leader in the field of IDD and ASD research. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please visit our Division 33 website at www.division33.org and use our contact page with the subject line podcast. To all those professionals working in the field, thank you for the work you do. And to those individuals with IDD and ASD and those who support them, we're here to help.